Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you, John, for those wonderfully kind and encouraging words. It is amazing, isn't it, what God can do with childhood faith? And uh, you never know where it's going to lead you (laughs) over the years. So that's uh, lovely to hear. Now, if I were to say to you, as that DVD did just a few minutes ago, that the church is growing all over the world, I wonder what you would assume that I meant. I think you would assume that I meant the church is growing in numbers all over the world, which, of course, thank God, it is, even in such places as John was referring to very slowly, uh, ones and twos. But the Lord is at work, as he reminded us, uh, and other, in other places of the world, of course, much more rapidly, uh, such as uh, in India, for example, where that scholar was speaking from in the DVD. But if you'd ask the Apostle Paul, are your churches growing? I think he would have taken it in a rather different way. He would have talked not so much about growth in numbers as the church growing, but the growth in maturity. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, and this is the Bible bit, uh, as, uh, as Jeff said, we are sort of combining uh, the Bible fresh with work, uh, we're talking about Langham. And I, I want to emphasize that just in case you think that when I get to the end of talking about Langham, there's still 10 minutes of Bible to come at the end. That won't be the case. But in Colossians chapter 1, you might want to have it open. Uh, Paul says, yes, he says, the gospel has come to you, he says, and all over the world, this is Colossians 1 verse Uh, He says, all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. So when Paul thought about growth in numbers, he thought about the gospel growing. But a little bit later in the same chapter there, Colossians 1, verses 9 to 11, Paul talks about a different kind of growing. He says, for this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing, there's the word, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. That's Paul's prayer. Now, of course, Paul rejoiced in numerical church growth, in evangelistic church growth. Of course he did, because he was a preacher, he was an evangelist, he was a church planter. But for Paul, his goal in life was not just to plant churches and to see them grow in numbers, but also to see them to grow to maturity. So he says in Colossians uh, 1 verse 28, he says, We proclaim and preach Christ in order to present everyone mature in Christ. That was his goal. And in fact, if you think of that passage that I've just read, Colossians 1, verses 9 to 11, which I think could be labeled, grow up, grow up for God's sake, grow up in the knowledge of God, Colossians 1, verses 9 to 11, is marvelously comprehensive, the kind of growth that Paul talks about. For example, he talks about growth in our heads, in knowing God, in knowing the will of God, which I don't think in this particular place means knowing God's will for our own lives, though that's important, but knowing the plan of God, the purpose of God, the whole story, the whole counsel of God. And Paul says, I want you to grow in that knowledge, to know the story you belong to. 
to know your faith. And then in verse 10, he talks about uh, growth in terms of our hands, the, the way we live, what we do, uh, how we are to live according to God's standards, he says, being pleasing to him, bearing fruit, doing good works, not doing good works in order to earn salvation, but in order to uh, show the evidence and the outcome of the fact that God has saved us. So growth in our minds and heads, growth in our hands, and also growth in our hearts. In verse 11, he wants the Colossian Christians to prove God's strength in their lives so that they have endurance and they will go on living as Christians for the long haul of the Christian life. So Paul's goal then was that the people in Colossae would grow, but not just grow in numbers, but that they would grow in knowing God's story, in living by God's standards, in proving God's strength. That was the kind of growth in maturity and depth that Paul wanted to see. Now, how did that happen? Well, Paul says it will happen, he says, in Colossians 3, verse 16, when the people of God are grounded in the Word of God. And so he says to them, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and uh, as you sing psalms and hymns and scriptural, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Uh, as you are studying and learning the scriptures, and as you are saturated in the worship of the scriptures, says Paul, then that kind of growth will happen. Now that is very consonant with what uh, I want to call the Langham logic. In fact, that's a phrase which comes from John Stott because the, 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 the Langham Partnership Ministries that I now am leading were founded by John Stott going way back to about 1969, and he named the small trust fund that he set up back then simply the Langham Trust, because that's where his church was, All Souls Church, Langham Place. And he just named the organization, it wasn't even an organization then, it was just a small trust after the street where his church was. So it became known as the Langham Ministry, the Langham Partnership. And John Stott would say we've got three biblical convictions, which I think are very close to what the Apostle Paul was saying here. He says we are convinced that God wants his church to grow up, not just to grow bigger, but to grow up in maturity. That is clear from the Word of God. Secondly, he said, we know that God's church grows through God's Word, that the Word of God comes to the people of God not just to bring them to faith in Jesus, but to root them and ground them and establish them in their faith. And thirdly, he says, we know that the word of God comes to the people of God mainly through preaching. Now, of course, not exclusively. I mean, you might say, surely people can read the Bible for themselves and feed themselves with God's word. Well, yes, of course they can, if, if they have the Bible in their own language, and if they are wealthy enough to purchase a Bible, and many people aren't, and thirdly, if they're actually literate and can read it. And perhaps fourthly, if they live in a country where their lives won't be in danger if they have one, such as uh, John was telling us about. And for many Christians coming to faith in Christ, those things are not true, and the only way in which they will be fed with God's Word is if they meet with other believers and somebody explains it, expounds it, and teaches it to them. So John Stott says, if those things are true, then the logical question to ask is, what can we do to raise the standards of biblical preaching? And that was his passion all through his life, as you probably know. John Stott is a great writer and preacher and teacher of the Bible. And he wanted to help other pastors to share that, to know what it was to be able to preach and teach the Bible so that the people of God would be fed and grow to maturity and then be effective in their mission and ministry. And that's what therefore lies behind the whole vision 
of John Stott, which has undergirded the work of Langham Partnership ever since. Here is our vision statement. Our vision is to see churches in the majority world, by which we mean the world of Africa, Asia, Latin America, former communist Europe, the Middle East, in other words, basically everywhere outside the West, which is where we operate, to see churches in the majority world growing to maturity through the ministry of leaders and pastors who believe, teach, and live by the Word of God. That's the vision. And you can see that it's related to growth and maturity, it's related to leadership development, and it's fundamentally based on the Bible. Now, you might say, well, that's all very well, but is that really mission? It's not evangelism. Evangelism happens by other people. We are not, in the Langham Partnership, engaged in evangelism and church planting, but we are engaged in what I like to call mission beyond evangelism. When evangelism has happened, there's still mission to go on. But is there such a thing as mission beyond evangelism? Well, Jesus certainly said so, didn't he? We talk about the Great Commission, and sometimes we forget line three. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. That's line one. Baptizing them, that's line two, and that presupposes evangelism, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus believed in mission beyond evangelism, and so certainly did the Apostle Paul. Paul clearly thought so. Look at some of the people he had around him in his mission team. There was Timothy, who was a preacher and a trainer of preachers. There was Tertius, who was a writer and who was engaged in creating literature. In fact, one of the longest books in the New Testament. And there was Apollos, who was a theological teacher. And all of these people were engaged in mission, but mission beyond the evangelism and church planting that the Apostle Paul was doing. And I like to think that our three Langham ministries, which you saw on the DVD a moment ago, follow in the footsteps of these three great New Testament characters. And so again, weaving them together, uh, here are our, our programs, Langham Preaching, Langham Literature, Langham Scholars, and let me tell you a bit about each of them, finding it, first of all, on those characters from the New Testament. First of all, there was Timothy. Timothy himself was a preacher because he knew the Scriptures. Paul reminds him of that in 2 Timothy, how he learned the Scriptures of the Old Testament from his mother and grandmother. And so Paul says to him, I give you this charge, preach the Word. So Timothy was to preach it, and in order to preach it, he had to study it as Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show yourself approved as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So Timothy himself was a teacher, a preacher. But then Paul says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the things that you have heard me say, that's the apostle Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust that to faithful, reliable men who will then be able to pass it on to others. And so you see this cascading principle of training those who will train and teach others. The multiplication effect was what Paul was really after. And that is the kind of theme, preaching and training of preachers and training of the trainers of preachers, that Langham Preaching Ministry is all about. Langham Preaching is basically trying to start national movements for biblical expository preaching. And I use the word expository not to mean dull, dry, you know, line-by-line, verse-by-verse kind of preaching, but simply the preaching which takes a Bible passage, explains it to people, tells them how it's relevant to their lives, and then encourages them to believe it and act upon it. Biblical preaching is what we're concerned about. 
We're seeking to establish movements. That is not just to go and run seminars, which we do, but to make sure that those seminars then take root through practical training, which is ongoing. Something of our philosophy is, is on the screen. We do run seminars at three different levels. We win level one and very basic teaching on how to handle the Bible with the workshops and uh, practical experience in doing it. Preachers will come together for about a week, and these are usually grassroots pastors, very simple men and women. Uh, and then we will organize them during that week into preachers' clubs in their own towns so that they can carry on meeting month by month to rehearse what they've learned and to encourage one another. Then we will make sure that the whole program is led by indigenous country leaders. And over a period of time, we'll train local facilitators, a regional coordinator for different parts of the world. And Langham Preaching is now operating in about 50 different countries with invitations from about 30 more. Uh, in fact, our... Um, international director for the Langham Preaching Program, Jonathan Lamb, I once said to him, you know, the Apostle Paul was pretty lucky. He just got one Macedonian call, come over to Macedonia and help us. You've got about 80 countries saying, come over and help us, because that's exactly what we have. Let me tell you about some of where it's happening. Those are just countries, just to give you an example, that it's in uh, communist, former communist Europe, Albania, Myanmar, Pakistan. But the particular story I'd love to tell you is about what's been happening in Tanzania, particularly uh, in, in part of East Africa. The, the lady on the screen on the left, first of all, Devota Joash, I hope you can see her picture reasonably clearly. Uh, here's her story, just very much in a nutshell. Uh, and it's told by the gentleman in the middle at the top called Emmanuel Oladipo, uh, who is the head of Scripture Union in various parts of Africa, now lives in the UK, but he's now the regional coordinator for uh, English-speaking Africa. And he was in Tanzania about a month ago, met this lady, and this is what he tells us. I'm quoting from him. Coming from a Roman Catholic background, devoted Joash married into an Anglican family, and her father-in-law sent her to Bible school. That is where she was saved. And then she was appointed as an itinerant evangelist. She planted churches in six villages, along with having and raising six children, and a very supportive husband, which you need, I suppose. And it was her church leaders who sent her to attend the Langham Preaching Seminars. And on completing Level 3 in 2009, that means she'd been going through 2007, 8, and 9, three years, she embarked on a new project to initiate preaching clubs everywhere she went. And to date, she has started five on Kome Island, which is in uh, Lake Victoria, five in Sangarema, her hometown, and three in Gaita. And now she's known simply as Mama Langham, wherever she goes. And what is most remarkable is the way she gains the confidence of church leaders from diverse denominations so that they entrust their ministers to her for training. Kome Island is situated in Lake Victoria, out from Entebbe, and Mama Langham was the first one to visit there to Kome, to train and to establish preachers' clubs. She has encouraged many women to be bold and to regard themselves as soldiers of the gospel using Psalm 68, verse 11, which says, The Lord offers his word, and many was the great army of women who preach it. Now, that's true. That is what Psalm 68, verse 11 says. Great was the company of preachers. The word is feminine plural in the psalm. Check it out in the Hebrew if you don't believe it. Um, but she has it in Swahili, uh, and she's into all that. And so far, 57 pastors and evangelists, mostly from Pentecostal churches, have attended the Langham Partnership Preaching Seminar on Kome Island in June 2010 with Mama Langham, Emmanuel Oladipo, and the coordinator, Frank Luvanda, as the trainers. 
that is echoed in other parts of East Africa. The other women on the picture uh, is Jenny Brown on the left, who's uh, at All Souls. She's one of our trainers, and she goes over there and helps. And Barbara Tumwine, who's uh, coordinating the program in Uganda. And the little lady uh, on the far right of that picture, a lady called Mercy Ereri, whose parents gave her a totally wrong name because she's completely merciless. Uh, she, she gets these men together, she whips them into shape, uh, she phones them up, why weren't you in the preaching seminar? Uh, and she's organized it amazingly. She's tiny, uh, but look at her there uh, on the uh, picture on the right. That's her teaching uh, in one of these seminars. And I think of these, these women, along with all the men who support them, of course, in this movement. Some of them are like Priscilla in the, Old Testament, in the New Testament, uh, in the way in which they are ministering and enabling and facilitating in the training of men who go out and then preach the gospel. So that's Langham preaching. Let's move on. Uh, there's Tertius. You say, who's Tertius? Well, actually, Tertius wrote the letter to the Romans. You may not have known that, but he did, because he tells us, in, in, uh, he just gets himself in, doesn't he? In Romans chapter 16, at the very end there, verse 22, he says, I, Tertius who wrote down this letter, he wasn't going to leave himself out, greet you in the Lord. Tertius, you see, was there because Paul the Apostle knew the importance of the written word, because he was a man of the Scriptures, and he was a rabbi, he was trained. And he knew from the Old Testament Scriptures, for example, about the book of the law, the Torah, how it had been lost and then found again during the reign of Josiah and sparked off a complete reformation of society because the Word of God was available again. He knew about Jeremiah's scroll that Baruch wrote for Jeremiah, which Jehoiakim burned, but then Jeremiah told Baruch to write it out all over again. And Barak said, I wrote it again, and the Lord added many things to the first one, he says. It was even longer after the second time round. He knew about uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and how it was reading the scriptures of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, that uh, Philip was able to point him to Jesus. And that was the portion of scripture that first went down to black Africa when the Ethiopian eunuch went back to his homeland and took the scriptures with him. So Paul knew about the importance of the written word, and so he provided letters which then became an ongoing resource to the church ever after for reading, for preaching, for teaching, for studying the written word of the Apostle Paul, the literature. Tertius was a trained scribe. He was a writer, and he has his part. And that echoes Langham literature, the second of our programs, because Langham literature is helping to raise the standards of biblical preaching by providing books for preachers to help them in their preaching. It was years ago, in the 1960s, 1970s especially, when John Stott was visiting so many countries around the world that he saw this phenomenon, that many of the pastors who were trying to teach and lead their people had no books at all, or possibly a Bible, if they were fortunate, maybe a hymn book or a prayer book, but really nothing else. And he came up with that saying, pastors can't preach if they don't study, and they certainly can't study if they've got no books. And so he set himself to provide a fund, initially all his own royalties, so if ever you bought a book by John Stott, you've already contributed to the Langham Literature Program, in order to provide books for pastors. Langham Literature functions in two ways, mainly. One is distributive. We are getting books into the hands of pastors. Uh, and the, the figures vary from year to year, but on average, we are supplying about 50,000 pastors around the world in many different countries with books in different languages and increasingly in their own regional languages if we can. We don't only supply pastors, but also libraries, seminary libraries uh, in different languages. 
We provide a catalogue year by year, uh, which they then can order books from, from evangelical publishing houses. Those are distributed from a warehouse in Carlisle. It's one of the programmes that we find difficult to fund because uh, people like to think of books being created but don't seem to get it that books have also got to be distributed uh, if anybody's ever going to read them. So that's Langham Literature Distributive. But more now than that, Langham is engaged in facilitating and helping writers in their own language. See, it's not really good enough that the world has to survive on Western literature or Western books, however good they may be. What we want is to see evangelical writers in their own languages creating books for their own cultural context, like these ones that happen to be in Arabic that you can see on the screen, Arabic contemporary theology, written by eight Arab Christian theologians in Lebanon and Egypt and now available throughout the Arab world. Or uh, this Sophia Silas, uh, who's from Vanuatu in the, in the uh, uh, Pacific Islands, producing the Vanuatu Bible Commentary along with a number of other uh, theologians there. So we're doing writer training, editor training, and publisher training in order to try to help this to happen. One of the most marvelous examples of this is the Africa Bible Commentary. I really should have brought one with me. It's a big, fat book, and it was produced by 70 African scholars in Africa for Africa, published four years ago after a seven-year project in which Langham invested, and it's now available and sold over 100,000 copies in English alone. It's available in French and Portuguese, the old colonial languages of Africa, and is now also available in Swahili and is being translated, as I speak, into Amharic, Hausa, and Malagasy, some of the major African languages, and doubtless will go into others. And then the Africa Bible Commentary, marvelous resource for African pastors to have one book which gives them a commentary on every book in the Bible. Uh, and we've got no commentaries at all, that's a big start, is producing other commentaries for other parts of the world, such as South Asia, uh, for India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Pakistan, that part of the world. And we have scholars writing for their cultural context against the background of Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism in that part of the world a Latin American Bible commentary, an Arabic one, and a Slavic one being produced by brothers, especially in Ukraine and elsewhere. So that's Langham literature. Langham preaching, Langham literature, thirdly and finally, comes back to the Bible. We've looked at Timothy, we've looked at Tertius. I want to finish with Apollos. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, uh, he got mentioned this morning by uh, Mark. Apollos is there in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 to 28. I love him because in many ways he's the most remarkable cross-cultural missionary in the New Testament. Because Apollos was converted from a Jewish background in Africa, in Alexandria. That's where he came to faith in Jesus, but he'd already learned the scriptures. Then he went to Asia because he crossed the Mediterranean and ended up in Asia Minor, which is where he met uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and he was taught better the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he went from Asia across the Aegean to Europe, and he ended up in Corinth. So he goes from Africa to Asia to Europe as a preacher and teacher of the gospel. It's remarkable, really, that he was well-educated in the scriptures. He had further training under Priscilla and Aquila in the scriptures, so he had a kind of higher degree, as it were, in our terms. And then he had a public ministry. In, uh, you read it there in Acts chapter 18. On arriving in Corinth, he was a great help to those who had believed, for he vigorously debated with the Jews in the synagogue, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. He was engaged in theological teaching and education in the church, helping the church to grow. And the great thing about Apollos is that Paul said of Apollos 
that Apollos in his ministry is just as much engaged in the mission of God as I am as a church planter. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. Do you remember it? It's really quite important that we get hold of this, that Paul saw no dichotomy between the evangelistic work that he did and the teaching, nurturing, discipling work that Apollos did. And so he says, this is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9, he says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We're only servants through whom you came to believe. I planted the seed, he was the evangelist, Apollos watered it as the teacher, but God made it grow. So neither he who planted nor he who waters is anything. It's God who does the work. The man who plants, the man who waters, as the evangelist and the teacher, have one purpose, says Paul. One purpose. So that was Paul's view. And that leads us finally then to the third program in Langham. Langham Scholars which is helping to raise the standards of seminary teaching. Those who will teach pastors, the few who do get to seminary, who ought to be men and women who are not only evangelically committed, but also academically qualified to do what they're doing. And John Stott realized that years ago. He set up this fund to enable these men and women from different parts of the world, such as these on the screen, to come and do a PhD in theology in an evangelical context and then return and teach in their own country. There is, the statistics are that now there's about 300 Langham scholars around the world uh, 210 already out there serving God back in their countries, about 90 that we are currently supporting in different parts of the world. Many of them end up in senior leadership as principals, as deans, as professors, as bishops, as university teachers, and in different positions of leadership. We invest in their lives after they get their doctor. We don't just wave goodbye and send them home. We have a fellowship of Langham Scholars. We try to provide opportunities for them for further career development. Uh, we have a set of Beirut benchmarks worked out in Beirut earlier this year for uh, doctorate programs in the majority world in Africa and Asia so that increasingly people will not need to come to the West but be able to do their PhDs in their own context and then to provide training so that some of them become PhD supervisors themselves. So let me finish off by calling you to imagine what it would be like if churches all over the world were led by pastors who love to preach the Bible, actually know how to do it. That's the task of Langham preaching. Or imagine that those pastors had been to seminaries where they were taught by scholars who loved the Bible, loved to teach it and do so faithfully and well, that's the top job of Langham Scholars. And imagine that in those seminaries and in the hands of those pastors, there were libraries full of books written in their own language, available to them as resources to teach the Bible better. That's the job of Langham Literature. That's what we invite you to share with us in. Uh, and if you're already doing so, as I know some are here in Northern Ireland, we want to thank you for that. But do remember... Uh, that the objective of all of this, as I said at the beginning, that Colossians 1, verses 9 to 11, is this longing to see the church not just grow bigger as more and more people come to faith in Christ, but also grow deeper in their roots in the Word of God and grow up to maturity. That's the vision of Langham Partnership. If you want to find out more about us, then uh, there is a little table in room two. You'll have to go through, as Eddie was saying, uh, to room two. Push on right through, 
And there's a little table with some of these leaflets there. Please do take one. I don't want to carry them all the way back to London. Uh, so take all these leaflets that are on that table or just sign your name and we can put you on our, our mailing list. And we do have a prayer meeting, actually, that meets here in, in Belfast. The next one's on Saturday, the 2nd of October in Malone House. It's organized by a brother called Brooke Mullen, who I know is here tonight, and he'd be delighted to see you at that. So that's the work of Langham and something of the vision of what we're seeking to do for the Lord. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.